Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Piki moi, kaki moi, and welcome to Our Changing World from RNZ National. Galampre's habit of latching onto unsuspecting whales and fish and sucking their blood and tissue has resulted in them sometimes being referred to as vampire fish. To find out more about these fascinating fish, Alison joins Niwa Cindy Baker to meet New Zealand's only species of lamprey and to find out why she's putting them through their paces in a specially built flume tank or lamprey lap pool. So you've come armed with a bucket and some gloves. And inside the container are some writhing eel-like things, but they're not eels, are they? No, they're lamprey. So as much as they look like eels, they're not actually very closely related at all. They're more closely related to shark skates and rays. So they're a fish, and if they're related to the shark skates and rays, does that mean they have a cartilaginous skeleton? Yes, so there's no bones at all. You're quickly putting in a bag, which makes me suggest it might be a bit of an escape artist. Yes, they're amazingly good at jumping and... Uh, firing themselves out of containers. They have a, um, a large sucker mouth that they actually use to help themselves migrate and they can um, scale vertical walls and uh, completely out of the water as well. So wow. as long as they have a wetted surface, then they're very adept at um, climbing over up waterfalls and, and over obstacles in the water. So tell me a bit about their lifestyle because clearly... You say they're migrating up the stream. Do they spend their whole lives in a stream and then just move up and down the stream? No, they're actually what we term anadromous, so similar to a life cycle of salmon, where the juveniles have spawned in the freshwater environment and they'll live there for three or four years and then they'll actually migrate out to the ocean where they feed on fish in the ocean, sort of fish or mammals um, such as whales. And after three to four years, once they've matured, they'll come back in similar to salmon and look for a, a stream for to spawn and then the adults will die after spawning. Okay, so they go from freshwater out to the sea back to freshwater again. Yep. How long are they spending in the stream as an adult? Do we know? Uh, they spend somewhere between 12 to 16 months before they'll spawn. So of all the lamprey species, the more unique in terms of their freshwater and breeding uh, life stage, most of the lamprey would come in and within the first couple of months would be maturing, spawning and then dying. Whereas... Uh, similar to the Pacific lamprey, that can spend up to a year in freshwater as well. Our guys will spend a year to a year and a half. And during that time, they're not feeding, so they're actually sitting in the stream, uh, maturing their, their eggs and their, their gonads, and they're not feeding at all for sort of a year and a half, which is really remarkable. That's a really long time, particularly when you think they're about to do something that's really energetically demanding, like spawning. Yes, so once they come in, they'll actually shrink to about two-thirds of the size that they had originally entered fresh water um, as they take the, their body in, and uh, use that as energy for putting into gonad maturation. So you talk about them shrinking, but how big do they get? On average, they'd be about 500 millimetres. Uh, when they come in, can be up to about 750 in length, but most of them are between the sort of 400 to 600 millimetre mark. Okay, now you mentioned when they were at sea that they were feeding on things like mammals and whales. Uh, how do they do that? Because they're quite small and mammals are quite big. <laughs> they feed parasitically. So the mouth of the lamprey, which is a circular suction cup basically with a, a large number of teeth, and they bore into the flesh on the side of fish and whales, we think. 
and from there they'll feed on the, the blood and the flesh of the animal and that's how they're, they're feeding and growing. So am I right in thinking they don't have jaws? That's right. So they're termed agnathans and hagfish, uh, which are normally in the ocean, as well as lamprey are the two last jawless uh, species that we have. Does that mean they're quite an ancient species then? Yes, it is. So they're almost like living fossils, so akin to the tuatara, basically. And lamprey, we believe, have been around for sort of 360 million years, which, if you think back in the times of the dinosaurs, then the lamprey were, were migrating upstream and passing them and, and carrying on their life cycle. So it's only been once us humans have intervened that their populations are now starting to decline. So are they something we know much about, or are they quite mysterious? Uh, they're very mysterious, so they're not well studied at all, and we really know very little about their basic ecology. So the work that we've been doing over the past few years has one of the key um, areas we've been looking at is trying to find where they're actually spawning, and we found that for the first time, which is the first spawning site in the southern hemisphere for a lamprey species, so it was a pretty significant find. Oh, wow. Where was that? It was down in Banks Peninsula in Canterbury, and we were focusing on the Akuti River, uh, which drains into Lake Wairewa. So how did you even find the spawning site? Uh, with a lot of difficulty. Because they're a very cryptic organism, they come in and they bury themselves underneath boulders and large substrates. Which is why we never see them. Yes, exactly. And they also are spawning underneath the boulders as well. So hence, apart from during their migration, then they're very infrequently seen as they're not coming out and, and obviously feeding or doing the other type of activities that we'd normally expect in a freshwater fish species. So we had to uh, tag each individual. So we'd capture them during the freshwater migration as they entered um, the base of the stream, put the tag in, and then we tracked those fish over 15 months until we located their spawning site. So what do you know about the spawning of it? How does it compare to other fish? Our New Zealand lamprey seem quite unique compared to the northern hemisphere species, which are very well studied. And so, generally speaking, they'll be similar to salmon. They'll create a nest, the male will create a nest in um, shallow gravels and, and cobbles, and then he can attract many, many females into the nest. So it can be quite a bit of an orgy for those species. But our guys are a bit more conservative, as our Kiwis like to be. So we have a monogamous pair that will actually uh, pair up together underneath a boulder and then um, after they spawn the female dies, which is quite normal, but normally the male will die as well, but our male has survived for over seven weeks, which is the length of time that we've watched them, the eggs develop until they hatch, and once the eggs have hatched and the, the larvae um, disappear, then the male disappears as well. So do you think he's guarding them? Yes. It's not uncommon for in fish species, for especially the male, to stay back and guard the nest. And there's two reasons that he'd be doing that. One is because they're underneath a boulder, you can imagine not much water flow is happening. So to actually oxygenate the eggs, he can actually sit there and fan and um, help get oxygen through to, for the larval development. Another reason is for predation. So lamprey themselves, as well as the lamprey eggs, are very uh, desirable for longfin eels in particular. And once we had, unfortunately, when we had disturbed some of the nests, we actually found the long finials would come in, and, uh, and that was no longer a nest anymore. But what the male lamprey will do is he actually seals off the, the area. Um, when we'd go in, we'd have to dig a hole to actually access and, and actually observe some of the development that was happening, and he'll actually infill that hole back in, so he keeps himself completely 
uh, protected and hence the eggs will be protected from predation. I suppose it's worth putting all that effort into it if you're only going to get one shot at breeding. Yeah, and we actually wondered if the, the differences we're seeing in our species versus the northern hemisphere fish are really driven by uh, predation in general because we have the longfin eel, which is um, a very top apex predator, and it just may be through evolution because they have very similar habitat overlaps and they're both moving quite far inland that it could be a, a sensible way of ensuring that you're not... <laughs> uh, you actually do survive from spawning. So you found the spawning sites. Can you just talk me through their life cycle? So the after they spawn, they, we term the larval uh, lamprey amacetes, and the baby amacetes will hatch and then move and bury themselves into the soft sediment. And there they'll filter feed for the three years. And they'll actually then metamorphose. And so physically they look a lot different. When they're burrowed in the sediment, they don't have any eyes. And they'd almost look like a, a baby eel sitting in there. Um, once they come out and metamorphose, they'll actually become a bright blue, a beautiful blue. And they do develop eyes. And that's when they become parasitic and they migrate out to the sea to feed. And it's after that, the three or so years of, of feeding in the sea that we believe they're, they're coming back into spawn. So some very distinctive separate life stages going on there. Yes, and for a long time people thought they were actually different species because they look so different. But we only have one species of lamprey in New Zealand. so Excellent. Well, let's take this guy over to the flume tank where you're just going to do a bit of work with it. And then I'm, maybe you can show me what its mouth looks like because yep, that sure. sounds amazing. <laughs> They look quite strong. Um, they are very muscular and very strong. Wow, so, it's completely just sucked onto your hand. What does that feel like? It just feels a little bit like a suction cup. They can, you feel when the teeth go in and they'll get a, a really good grip. And at that point, it's, it can be pretty hard to pull them off. But so you're just is, holding it upside down for me. And yeah, it's just big sucker mouth filled with hundreds of teeth that they use to bore into the flesh and hold themselves on. So hence you can see where he's drawn blood on my arm. So that's just basically his teeth sucking onto the, uh, into the flesh. And so they have a, a pretty powerful jaw and they can hold themselves onto rocks and, and hence as they're climbing waterfalls. So, and they just move their way up by progressively um, latching on and detaching as, as they jump up. So a very powerful body as well. And not all lamprey species can actually propel themselves when they're fully out of the water, but these guys can, so it's really quite amazing to watch. And it's got, its eyes are quite set back a long way on its head. Is that its nostril on the top of its head there, that hole? Yes, so they have a single nostril rather than paired nostril like we do. So it's termed a, a rhombopore, and they have a very strong olfactory sense, and that's sort of one of the key sensors that they use to locate their spawning grounds and um, for most of their migrations and also for locating partners determining who's sexy and who's not. So that's that idea of them finding their spawning grounds and how they use odours in the water that's all part of what you're doing here isn't it? Yes so what we understand is the, the larvae that are sitting in the freshwater streams for three years, as they're feeding, they're releasing what we term pheromones, and it's basically just a, a chemical odour that's released by uh, a member of one species that signals a member of the same species, basically. And so those pheromones that they're releasing, the adults can actually pick up on as they enter the, the stream system, and they'll track those to locate suitable spawning grounds. 
as you can imagine, if you've got a bunch of larvae that are happily feeding and, and rearing in a stream system, then it's obviously a good indicator of suitable habitat for spawning. So you think that the fish that are returning from the sea are then following those cues up and going, OK, this is a stream I'm going to go back to? Yep. Most of the work on lamprey has been undertaken on sea lamprey, which are a pest in the Great Lakes system. And generally, when I was talking about the, uh, the lamprey going out into the ocean and feeding parasitically on a fish or perhaps a, um, a whale, that the host animal isn't normally harmed in any way. It has a bit of a scar, but it survives and it's quite happy. In the Great Lakes, because the lamprey are so successful, you end up with multiple numbers of them on each fish, and it's actually destroying their native fisheries over there because the, the host fish just can't handle the number of lamprey that are feeding off it. So they're a huge pest, and there's millions of dollars spent on trying to control them because they're so successful. A lot of that work has sort of pioneered what we're trying to do over here. The pheromone odours that have been identified, there's around seven of them at the moment, that have been formally characterised, and um, they've all been synthetically available as well. So we can actually buy those and test whether those are the compounds that our lamprey is queuing in on as well. So even though these are pheromones from another species, our lampreys are still responding to them? These pheromones are specific to lamprey species, but not individual species, if that makes sense. So how do you go about testing this? We've taken water from larvae, so we can identify what they're releasing and in what quantities, because generally we're expecting that an, a compound they release in a high concentration is more likely to be a, the pheromone candidate than something that we can't detect. And then we can also test um, both synthetic and natural odours in a two-choice chamber system. So, so in front of us here, we have an enormous tank built in the paddock, which has just been filled up with water? Yes. And so it's got, what, two channels in it? Yes, that's right. So it's basically a, a unidirectional flow that we have set up in the, the flume. Um, it's a, a six-metre flume, so we've got a reasonable amount of area for the fish to actually track the odour source and... Um, show whether he's attracted or not and basically we'll have one of the pheromone cues in one side of one choice chamber and then the other choice chamber will just be background river water and then we'll run a number of trials to determine if the fish is actually showing an attraction towards the, the chemical or not. So have you got any results from this yet or is it still a work in progress? Uh, we haven't completed the experiments as yet but from what we've done so far it looks as though the sea lamprey uh, synthetic odours that we've tested are attractive to, to our species, but we at this point we're just not sure which is the specific compound that they're attracted to. Am I right in thinking that people either used to eat them or still eat them? Yes, traditionally they've been a very important uh, food source for iwi, and hence they're known as a taonga species, which is a treasured species, and they still are very widely um, harvested around the, the country. It's just Basically because of the population decline, they're getting harder and harder to catch, and so they're not as commonly seen on the tables at the marae. Tell me a bit more about the big picture of why you're doing this work with the lampreys. We believe the populations are in decline, so after 360 million years, they're now starting to get to a point where we'd consider them threatened. And we really want to understand more about their ecology. So as you can imagine, it's hard to know how to restore them if we don't understand exactly what habitats they're using and um, what are the different aspects in the freshwater environment that we need to be protecting in, in order to maintain these populations. 
So at the moment our research is focused on um, identifying those spawning sites and understanding more about the reproductive ecology of the lamprey and hopefully that we can ensure that that type of habitat is present in all of the stream systems as we do believe that loss of habitat is one of the key factors that's led to their decline. And that was freshwater scientist Cindy Baker from Niwa. Thanks for listening to this Our Changing World podcast. You can stay in touch with us on Twitter at rnz underscore science. Matewa.